This is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. I'm a sociologist and a writer, and I use this podcast to share stories from people who are making a difference in the lives of others, people like you and me. Kevin Adler is an entrepreneur and sociologist from San Francisco, California. He's also the founder of Miracle Messages, an organization that reunites individuals experiencing homelessness with their loved ones. Kevin is building a network of volunteers and partner organizations that help these individuals record video messages for long-lost family and friends, which are then spread through social media. The idea is to use social media as a tool for positive social action, because these stories might not take place without people like us to share them. I talked with Kevin recently about Miracle Messages and about the people who inspired the idea, and I'll play our conversation in a moment. I imagine a lot of us scroll through our feeds every day and click like on things that we'll barely remember 10 minutes later. Instead, what Kevin wants to do is build community on social media around the stories that his organization captures, meaning that sharing, retweeting, and such stop being passive things we do to kill time and instead become moral investments. I talked before on the plural of you about how intent is what gives meaning to everything that we as humans do. And the ways in which Miracle Messages uses social media are a perfect example of this. Kevin also got me thinking about the concept of home. Like, what is home? And what exactly is lost when someone becomes homeless? I've done a bit of reading about this. And for me, I think home refers to our sense of identity and our sense of normalcy. And it's usually fixed in a geographic place like a house. There's also a notion of ownership or at least a sense of territory involved. I assume most of us have heard the adage that people make a house a home or something to that effect. And it's true that we base much of who we are on those that we share our surroundings with. In most cases, these are family members. But what if you don't have a roof to sleep under? Or if you live apart from loved ones for a long period of time? One study of people experiencing homelessness in Australia found that those without homes often base what home means to them on the problems of residing in public places and on their feelings of disconnection from society, which suggests that notions of home can be positive, negative, or something in between. In other words, having housing can allow us to feel safer and more in control of our lives, but having a positive notion of home also suggests a sense of welcomeness and belonging. Although I've never experienced homelessness myself, I imagine it would be tough to maintain a happy outlook on life if I didn't feel I belonged somewhere, or if I was separated from where I felt I belonged. So back to Kevin. Kevin's a busy guy, but he was able to talk en route to a flight in San Francisco on the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. This conversation will sound a little different because of that, and I hope the noise won't bother you. I've been impressed with what he and his organization have been doing for a while now, so I'm humbled that he squeezed some time in to talk with me. Here's Kevin Adler, the founder of Miracle Messages. Morning, Kevin. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm great. I was going to ask, how much time do we have? Because I know you have a flight to catch here pretty soon. Yeah, but so my flight's not till 9.50. I already checked in. It should be pretty much fine. Um, I'd probably say, you know, half hour is pretty, pretty solid. Okay. Just curious, where are you going? Uh, I'm heading to Chicago. So my dad moved there recently. And then my brother and I are going to fly from our respective places to have a semblance of a family Thanksgiving, which we haven't had in a few years. So it's going to be really nice. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah, I can't wait. So (laughs) good deal. Yeah. So I discovered you and your work because of miracle messages. Uh Uh-huh. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that project. Like what's the purpose behind it? 
Absolutely. So Miracle Messages helps homeless individuals record short video messages to their long lost loved ones. And then we try to deliver those video messages on social media as a way of reuniting families that haven't seen each other sometimes in 20, 30, 40 years. Wow. Now, what gave you the idea to do that? My uncle, uh, Mark, was homeless. Uh, He lived on and off the streets for about 30 years. And it actually happened with a visit to his gravesite. He passed away. And my dad and I visited the site. And I never actually realized he he had a gravesite. I guess my dad and my other uncle had purchased a plot. And when I asked my dad about that, he said that, you know, it was important for him that Mark's memory wasn't lost from this earth. And as poignant as that is, I thought, you know, here's this little stone marker that really doesn't tell me anything else about who this person was, how they saw the world, how the world saw him. And yet I'll go back into the car and pull out my phone when we're on the way home and I'll see every update and every you know story from every acquaintance I've ever met on Facebook and different social media. So it just got me thinking about how the tools that we use for storytelling may not extend to people who are on the periphery of society, such as my, you know, my beloved uncle. And so I just started thinking, how can we repurpose tools like wearable cameras and social media and smartphones to help humanize and potentially make an impact in the lives of our homeless neighbors in need? Now, what about your background helped inform your decision to go through this process? It's a great question. I think everyone is born with some kind of superpower. And a big, <laughs> big part of life is figuring out what your superpower is. And then maybe another, like part, another part of life is figuring out how to use it. If I am so lucky to have one superpower, it would be that I never learned the word stranger. The way I was raised... Small town, small family. Where are you from originally? I'm from Livermore, California. Okay. You know, just a general outlook worldview to see everyone as someone's somebody, someone's brother, sister, and see them as an extension of my own family. And so I start with that because even the work I did in college and grad school studying social capital and looking at how disasters and shared traumas can bring people together and increase our sense of trust and sense of togetherness and civic engagement. All that is informed by this mindset that we're all connected. We're all in this together. And so I think that plus the research I've done academically and then the projects I've led before, the ventures I've led as an entrepreneur, those inform my outlook and have allowed me to kind of do this project, you know, with the homeless using a bit of technology to help them be seen and then make an immediate tangible impact in their lives by way of reconnecting them to their basic social capital, their family and close friends structures. What would you consider your primary career? Like, do you, would you say you have a day job? Well, uh, I certainly keep busy through the day. So I think personal and professional are pretty intertwined for me. Okay. You know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a sociologist. You know, the miracle message has started as a very much a side project. And over the course of the last few months, especially, it's really started to pick up. Uh, and so I'm doing that more and more full time. I also spent this past summer at uh, NASA as part of a program called Singularity University, 
We spent 10 weeks with 80 people from 45 countries looking at how exponential technologies can act as a catalyst to impact a billion lives in 10 years is kind of the goal. And, and the reason I mentioned that is I started a company out of that called Anyone, which is a research platform to interview anyone in the world at the push of a button from your smartphone. So I have a bit of tech startup and a bit of social impact kind of social movement work in my, in my repertoire. Just to clarify, what is exponential technology? I've never heard of that term. So exponential technologies are, are you know, a few examples of them today would be uh, artificial intelligence, drones, robotics, nanotechnology. Gotcha. It's kind of cutting edge stuff, but it's really the, the idea of exponential technology is the price is declining while the productivity is increasing rapidly. Uh, so, you know, in modern computing is certainly an exponential technology. Moore's law, uh, you know, the, the, the number of transistors on a microchip, you know, doubling every one and a half years or whatever happens to be now. There's, you know, a, a, an opportunity when you're kind of building where the hockey puck is going rather than where it's at now. And by understanding what technologies exist that may be too expensive or out of reach today, but within the next few years could be very commonplace. That's kind of what we're, uh, what we're building. Okay. Now, given all these ventures and such that you're involved in, why focus on miracle messages? You ever have one of those things that's inside of you that you're just like, gosh, I really got to do this because no one else is and who, yeah, yeah. who knows if it makes sense or not. Yeah, you know, that's that's my experience with Miracle Messages. So we raised a little bit of money on Indiegogo. You know, at that time it was framed as kind of 100 stories. We'll capture 100 stories across the U.S. I've now converted that a bit to 100 reunions. And that's what I'm committed to. Now, my, my goal is to not uh, travel across the country for the rest of my life doing this work. It's really to create a bit of infrastructure so that people in their own communities can help the homeless neighbors that they have reconnect to their loved ones. And we're starting to see that. We have people coming out. We had a reconnection in San Diego recently. We have chapters popping up in Arizona, Vermont where people see the work, they say, wait, I could do this in my own community, and then they uh, they start doing it. And so I see the future of this as helping to facilitate 100 reunions as well as developing a TV show uh, that's really a, a better alternative to reality TV that's engaging but also socially impactful and community-enabled. Uh, you know, the stories don't exist unless people like and share these miracle messages. So it really makes a like and a share meaningful, perhaps, you know, one of the few things that does that. You know, I think more broadly, we are at this interesting moment in terms of the, the content that we capture on our phones. And we've been trained to fixate our cameras on the same images, you know, the kind of the, the spectacle, you know, you're at the concert, you capture the stage, you're at the popple ascendancy of Pope Francis, and you focus your camera on that. But these are blurry images. These are trite. Everyone is out capturing it their own way. And it's already being captured professionally. What these devices enable us to do is turn the camera to the person next to us, or even on ourselves and say, well, what brought you here? What's your story? How did you end up here? So I think there's a very exciting possibilities in transmedia digital storytelling that's not yet been explored that I think this is on kind of the pioneering edge of. 
That's so interesting. Uh, I guess I never thought about social media being used that way, but that's that's an interesting approach. Yeah, you know, there's a great photo. It says 2005-2013. It's two images, top and bottom. The top one, 2005, is when Pope Benedict became Pope. And it's uh, showing all the people in the, in the Vatican watching as, as he's becoming the Pope. And it's just, you know, a sea of people, onlookers, maybe a few flip phones that are opened, uh, but pretty much just people watching the spectacle. And then 2013, it's uh, for Pope Francis, it's this sea of screens and they're all locked on the same thing. You know, wow. and, I, and I just, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, you just, as far as the eye can see, it's just screen, screen, screen. And I wonder, it's like, well, who are these videos for? What are you trying to capture? Are you capturing this because everyone else is capturing it the same way? And so how much more interesting if just one of those people turn to the nun or the worshiper next to them is from probably far gone lands and, and ask them, well, what brought you here? Why are you here? You know, what was the cost? What, what's your story? Uh, that's so much more interesting to me. Yeah, I agree with that. So when you had the original idea for Miracle Messages, what kind of scale did you have in mind? Well, that's a good question. I, we were doing some uh, a little bit different before with various volunteers called uh, Homeless GoPro. And the idea was homeless volunteers would wear uh, wearable cameras to see the world through their eyes. And we got a lot of me- oh, wow. we got a lot of media attention. You know, those videos, the first couple went kind of viral. But we started doing that, you know, pretty regularly. We had maybe 15 different homeless people volunteer at different times. But there really wasn't the follow-up from the media. You know, the impact model was predicated on a lot of eyeballs watching those videos. And the media could care less about the actual stories. They just like the novelty of it, like homeless person wearing wearable camera, tech worker doing it, right? Um, I see. So I got tired of the kind of sensational thing, the the pursuit of more media coverage. That really wasn't what we were about. And I wanted to make a more immediate, tangible impact in the lives of our homeless neighbors. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Miracle Messages is the name of it. Check it out. Miracle Messages. Yeah, Miracle Messages. Yes, thanks. The Uber driver just told me, God bless me, so I had to thank her for that. Oh. Uh, she's like, I like what you're doing. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, we were able to kind of make a little bit of a difference, but it wasn't so impactful. So at the holidays, it was about a year ago exactly, I was like, all right, I'm just going to take a walk down Market Street, and every homeless person I see, I'm going to ask if they would like to leave a holiday message for a loved one. Uh, because we had heard over and over again that the, the, even though the, the reasons for homelessness are as unique as the individuals who are homeless, the thing we refrain we heard over and over again was, I never consider myself homeless when I lost my housing. I consider myself homeless when I lost the family and friends to support me. And oh, wow. that just rung true. And, you know, here I am, a sociologist, studied social capital, do social ventures, see everyone as a family. It just was like, well, why can't we help restore that in places where it could be restored? Or why can't we at least you know, start building that anew? And so I had no idea what to expect. But I know in some of the autobiographers that we worked with with Homeless GoPro, you know, helping them hop on a phone call with a family member they hadn't talked to in three or four years was some of the most impactful storytelling. So I was like, well, maybe there's other people who haven't talked to their loved ones. No idea if that was true or not. We met a guy, Jeffrey, 
who, as it turned out, hadn't seen his, his sister or his niece or nephew or father in 22 years. And just sitting there, you know, in broad daylight, talking, having a conversation. And so he records a very heartfelt video to them. Uh, we post that video online that night and, and no idea where to post it. But he told me where he's from. I took down whatever information I thought might be helpful and posted it. He's from a town called Montoursville, Pennsylvania. And so I posted it in the, uh, the you know you're from Montoursville if dot 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 Facebook group. And okay. which every community in the U.S. has. I, I can't believe it. And then the police department, the Montrealville Police Department. So they both posted it on our behalf. Within an hour, the sh- post was shared hundreds of times, liked hundreds of times. Within a few hours, his sister was tagged in the post. That night, it made the local news. It made the news the following night. The town was so moved by the story, they held two fundraisers and raised over $5,000. Wow. The congressman got involved and said, you know, if he comes home, he has free health care. Friends from high school came out of the woodwork and said, hey, this guy was a good friend of mine. And he always will have a job in construction if he comes back. And then two weeks later, a gentleman named Marty, who's from Montoursville, living in San Francisco, four blocks from where we filmed, was like, hey, I recognize that spot. That's four blocks from my house. Walks over, sees Jeffrey calls me up and then within a you know few more minutes he's on a phone call with his sister not only had they not talked in th- 22 years he had been a missing person for 12 years and people Whoa. didn't know if he was alive he's dead if he's in jail what's the story yeah. and here he is he's missing in broad daylight and so that was pretty incredible you know i'm a, i'm pragmatic i'm idealistic but i'm also you know i can be skeptical i'm like okay can we actually do this again then went to St. Anthony's Foundation, made an announcement, had a guy named Johnny who hadn't seen his brothers and sisters in 33 years, had been a missing person for 20 years. And in under three weeks, all four of them, brothers and sisters with the siblings as well as their kids, flew out from across the country and reunited in person in San Francisco. That's so great. I'm sure you have plenty of other stories like this you know especially if you're shooting for the the hundred reconnections like yeah. this that's so yeah. great and you know and i'll say like the reunions sometimes they happen like johnny's where the family's just been looking for them desperately for decades uh, sometimes you know there's relational brokenness and the families may not want to reconnect or there's past grievances that need to be dealt with So, you know, we're cognizant of all that. And uh, our philosophy is each person has a truth that they have a right to share with the world. So in the case of the homeless person, if they want to say hello and they want to say I love you to a long lost loved one, they have the right to do that. And they have the right to be seen. And then for the loved ones, they have the right to respond or not respond or uh, do whatever they want to do. If we invite them to record a miracle message back to the homeless person that we can share with them. But if they don't want to do that, that's okay. You know, we can't fix past relational brokenness. Well, all we can do is give people an opportunity to once again be a family and start the healing process. And if they want to do that, they can. If they don't, then we respect that. Right, right. So how are the volunteers that you're working with, as well as the partner organizations, how are they helping to make all of this possible? 
So partner organizations are absolutely crucial because we have now partnered with about 25 organizations. Their main, the main collaboration is that we will show up, make an announcement, and anyone who's interested in recording a miracle message or reconnecting to a loved one, we can do that on the spot. And then from there, whoever is our contact at the organization is kind of the go-to person for local volunteers. So if other people want to show up and help make an announcement and record some of these miracle messages, they can do that. It's also the follow-up. So when we have a, a homeless person, we need to reach them again. Sometimes they don't have cell phones. Sometimes they don't have email. If they are going to do a reunion, making sure they're mentally stable enough to maybe get on a plane or get on a bus, helping them with the ID cards. So partners are absolutely essential. For volunteers, they're also very important. It's really two primary volunteer outlets. So there's the recording of the miracle messages themselves. And then there's the detective work online, trying to deliver the miracle messages, which involves sometimes doing a little research, sharing posts, making phone calls. Uh, and we have people helping in both of those areas. Now, can anyone around the country volunteer? Like, is, is there a set of criteria that you have in place to help these people if they are interested? Yeah, if you go to our website, which is just miraclemessages.org, we have information on there about how to help both deliver these miracle messages as well as get started with a, a local chapter. What we found is that if you really want to do the recordings locally, it helps a great deal to have an organizational partner, just to have you know, not, you're not on your own. You're, you're part of a community. You're, you're part of a, a local group. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you do that. Oh yeah. This, you know, I mean, at this point I'm pretty comfortable walking up to homeless people on the street and doing it, you know, kind of in, in the, in the real world, uh, away from an organization, but you have to really use your discretion and you have to know the kinds of areas where you can approach people. You know, if you're walking around a park, in the evening, you're essentially going into someone's house and talking to someone who may not want to be talked to about an emotional thing that they may not want to think about. So, mm -hmm. you know, that can be complicated and we don't want to endanger people. I mean, we have our four point mantra for volunteers and point number one is be safe. You know, you're, you're no good if you're endangering yourself or anyone else. So, yeah, we do that. And, and right now we're kind of in the middle. We've had hundreds of people reach out wanting to get involved in the organization. So now we're in the process of trying to onboard people, do what we can to be both sustainable and build up the core capacity while still focusing on kind of the, the immediate work at hand and not getting, getting too big too quickly. That's good too. Yeah. So what are some things you've learned about issues surrounding homelessness that maybe you weren't aware of before you started all this? Sure. Can I rattle off a few surprises in terms of statistics and then kind of dive of deeper? Course. Yeah. Sure. So 3.5 million Americans experience homelessness each year. Half of them are kids. That's 1% of the population, which is mind boggling. And then mm. uh, I've seen before that one out of every three Americans are one or two paychecks away from homelessness. Again, that's not the, the family and friends support, so that doesn't mean they become homeless, but just financially. Right. And then the cost of homelessness is outrageous. Even if you could care less about homeless people and you know you say they're all bums and addicts, 
if you just look at the cost, it's about $18,000 to have someone in supportive housing for a year. It's about $60,000 to have them on the street. And that's... Oh, wow. I wasn't aware of that. Emergency services, that's cleanup, sanitation, please fire, health issues. And it's just a nuisance. And it's a bad situation for everyone. So it's ridiculous. There's no way in the United States of America, we should have 1% of the population living on the streets, in shelters, or in their cars, any point during the year. There's always going to be episodic homelessness, big downturn in the economy, natural disaster hits. These things happen. And that, that's cyclical. That's part, of the, that's part of life. You know, it's episodic. But in terms of chronic homelessness, we, we can end it. It's not, it's not rocket science. And I think to end homelessness requires a top-down and a bottom-up approach. The top-down approach is supportive housing first. Up until the last 10 years, up until kind of early 2000s, the prevailing mindset in the homeless service community and among government agencies was that homeless people needed to stabilize and get off addictions and you know get themselves mentally fit before getting into permanent housing. That's turned out to be ridiculous because if you're on the streets and you aren't stable and you aren't taking a shower every day and you're not able to use the bathroom when you need to, it's pretty traumatic. And it's Mm-hmm. It's, it's unlikely that you're able to get better before you get worse. And so now supportive housing first has been proven to work. And that's not just housing. That's providing psychiatrists and nurses and healthcare professionals. Again, $18,000 a year. So supportive housing first works. The problem is there's often not a political will to build the housing stock. And, you know, you have to have local people, citizens, government and private industry, real estate developers work together, which is a challenge. Then in terms of what people can do, I believe it's this bottom up approach of, well, instead of always focusing on the physiological needs and at the base of Maslow's pyramid, People need housing, people need shelter, people need food, people need water. But to reduce me to just a, a needy person in terms of physiological sense takes away from the complete person that I already am. And so That's a great what, point. what we can do is we can start at the top of Maslow's Pyramid, stop reducing homeless people to what they're lacking. You know, I lack housing, so I am homeless. And start seeing them as complete human beings in need of and capable of offering love, emotional you know, support, talent, self-actualization, uh, all the things that we're much better equipped to provide for each other uh, as human beings. And that, to me, whether it's helping to record miracle messages and helping homeless people reunite with long-lost loved ones, or whether it's having conversations, making friends, you know, whatever it is, there's got to be a better approach to how we interface with the homeless beyond throwing a few dollars here and there, or a ladle of soup on Thanksgiving. So I have so many questions I want to ask, but I know you got to get going. Well, I could talk more. I just would have to go through security. Well, I mean, you can go through security if you'd like. Yeah, let me do that uh, just to make sure. And then I can stand at the gate and watch things. And then I'll give you a call back. Okay, that'll be fine. Okay. All right, sounds good. Okay, bye. Kevin and I talked for a few more minutes after he passed through security. And I'm paraphrasing a bit. But he said he was grateful to have a great life and a strong sense of home, and he wanted to provide those things for others. 
He also said he was excited about the role that technology could play in making that happen. So I hope you'll check out Miracle Messages. They're on Facebook slash Miracle Messages and Twitter at MiracleMSG. And the website is MiracleMessages.org. Thanks again for making time to talk with me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. That was episode 18 of The Plural Review. I first published it on December 1st, 2015. Here's an update on Kevin and Miracle Messages as of 2023. Miracle Messages has grown to include nine staff members who facilitate the work of the organization's volunteers. The network has reunited over 750 people experiencing homelessness uh, with their families. And they've started a program called Miracle Friends. This program allows volunteers from all over the world to call those experiencing homelessness at partner organizations. The idea behind Miracle Friends is that these volunteers provide companionship and show support to those who need it. So far, over 300 people experiencing homelessness have been matched with new friends. Miracle Messages also piloted a universal basic income program starting in the fall of 2022, and they called it Miracle Money. They chose 14 people to receive $500 each month in unconditional funding for six months. The results were that about two-thirds of these people were able to secure stable housing by the end of the pilot. It was an impressive win for advocates of UBI and for Miracle Messages, of course, and for those who believe the solution to ending homelessness is to eliminate poverty. Kevin has remained dedicated to the memory of his Uncle Mark. He and Miracle Messages have been featured all over the place, including CNN, NPR, various news outlets, and he's given a TED Talk. He announced in 2023 that he wrote a book titled When We Walk By, and it's about his time working with people experiencing homelessness. He's a heartwarming person, and I'm honored that I got to talk with him early on in the development of Miracle Messages. If you'd like to check out what Miracle Messages is up to, visit miraclemessages.org. This has been The Plural View. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralview.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care. 